do you ever find yourself realizing that you're kind of checked out? It's okay if you do. It's actually a facet of life in 2020 that a whole lot of people just feel numb. And I understand that feeling emotionally shut down is probably not a great place to be. But at the same time, what do you do about it? Do you even want to do something about it? If you're suspecting, as I'm saying these things, that I'm describing you, I hope you'll stick around through to the end of the message because I've got some really practical scriptural things to share with you today that could completely change your reality, to help you reawaken to life and to the things that God has put in front of us. So I hope you'll be part of that. So what's going on when we numb out? Well, there's, uh, you've heard of probably the fight-or-flight response that our body uh, will literally be ready to fight or to run away, and that's a function of our brain that almost takes over automatically. I didn't know until recently there's actually a third option. It's when it's not possible to fight your way out of a bad situation, literally or figuratively, or to run away from it, you can just zone out or freeze. The technical term for this is dissociation, but what it is is, for example, just imagine a kid growing up in a stressful home environment where the child is powerless to fix things that are going on in the home, but running away from it's not really an option either. Dissociation or zoning out is the brain's go-to move to protect that child or anyone else in that kind of a scenario. You're there physically, but mentally you're just somewhere else. So you think about that. Have there been any things in our world that would make you feel so stressed out that you just at the same time don't have anything that you can do about it? Just like some of you, if you think about it, your entire lifetime has been stressed. What has happened in the last 20 years since the new millennium? We kicked things off with Y2K and then hanging chads, 9-11, the war on terror, Hurricane Katrina, the mortgage and the banking crisis and the recession that came along with that, the Tea Party. Oh, yeah, in the last 20 years, we've had the rise of cell phones and social media, uh, hashtag me too. So many things in the last 20 years that have come into the light and so many things that have just brought stress into the world. And then we got to 2020, and as someone so aptly put it, it's just been a dumpster fire. We've had, we started things off with the fires in Australia and then murder hornets and then COVID and the quarantine and all the other things that are going on now. Some of you, how many of you are just like sick of looking at a screen of doing Zoom calls? Some of you, you're probably so tired already of going to school through a screen and not being able to go in person. Others of you, you're gaining a new appreciation for what teachers do as you're a parent or a grandparent trying to homeschool your kids. And uh, you're kind of thinking to yourself maybe, why is day drinking a bad thing? And speaking of that, it was uh, maybe a year ago. I was out for a long run early in the morning. It was before seven. I just remember that when I was getting back to the house, getting towards my neighborhood. And all I wanted to do was just get home get something to drink, get some breakfast, and just collapse. And as I was running down the street, a truck comes across traffic towards me, and I'm thinking at first, like, whoa, what's going on here? And then I'm thinking, oh, it's probably a neighbor who wants to talk, and I really didn't want to talk. But as they pulled up right beside me, the window rolled down, and I was a little bit disturbed for a different reason. It wasn't anybody I knew, but it wasn't stranger danger either. It was a really nice guy, construction worker, uh, just looking for directions to his job site. What concerned me was, as he rolled the window down, I was greeted by this, this blast of beer air. <laughs> there was a complete case of beer on the seat next to him, already open, several empty cans in the cabin with him. And I'm just thinking, I'm not judging the guy, but wow, if this is what you have to do to get started in the morning, just to numb yourself out enough to get started at work. I felt bad for that guy. I felt bad for people who shared the road with him that day and people who had to work with him, just prayed that he was safe. Here's the thing I want to point out. 
Sometimes numbing out is not an involuntary response of your brain. Sometimes we choose it. You know this, and so do I. You've probably done this. So have I. We all have our go-to moves to kind of zone out for a little while. For some of us, it's just to go to Netflix. Some of us, during the quarantine, you took it as challenge accepted to watch the entire catalog. Or if you're like me, you just scroll through all the titles, and you never actually find something to watch. Some people eat too much. Some people um, endlessly scroll through their phone on social media through Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, whatever. Some people look at porn. Some people eat too much, drink too much, smoke something. Some people turn to pharmaceuticals, legal or otherwise. Just so many ways that people numb out voluntarily. At the same time, there are things in life that do hit us that we had no control over, we didn't see coming, but at the same time, they have just left us breathless. You got a diagnosis from the doctor you never saw coming. You you lost your job unexpectedly. There was a relationship crash. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. So many things in life, whether we choose them or they chose us, to just leave us emotionally checked out. And I understand when things get overwhelming, sometimes it feels like the healthiest thing that we can do is just to step back for a while and just to say, look, I just can't deal with this anymore. And what we do is we just reach up and we turn the breaker off for a while. Here's the problem with that. You can't selectively choose to go numb to certain aspects of your life. When you turn the breaker off, you've shut yourself down to everything. So Yeah, you don't hurt anymore, but you don't feel the joy of life either. You lose the happiness. You lose the highs and lows. You lose the relational joy. You find yourself distant from the people who you love and who love you and desperately need you to be engaged in their life. Last week, I talked about anger and the powerful impact that can have on our lives. And I shared, and I think a lot of guys can shake their head and, yeah, admit that anger is an issue a lot of men deal with. I think this also is something a lot of men deal with, just going through life kind of on autopilot, not really fully present, not really fully engaged, maybe working a lot so you don't have to think about the other things, and that was your way of turning the switch off. And there's so many good things that you're missing out on. And there's so many things that the people who are around you who love you are missing out on because you're not fully present and fully engaged. I want you to turn to the Bible because there was a time when even Jesus' closest friends and followers found themselves disengaged and numbed out. And I want you to look with me at what happened. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you're newer to the Bible and you're using the table of contents, you're going to find John. You're also going to see 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. But we want just plain John, the Gospel of John, which tells us about the life and the ministry of Jesus, all of his teachings, all of his miracles. So if you go to John chapter 20, verse 19, we read these words. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. I'm going to pause here. Let's go back to the very beginning. It says that Sunday evening, which assumes that you already know what Sunday evening that is. And if you read the rest of John 19 and 20, you would understand. This is the Sunday night right after Jesus was killed on Friday before. So on this Sunday evening, the disciples do not know yet that Jesus is alive. And I want you to look at them for a moment in your imagination, in your mind's eye. Just picture them. They've been behind locked doors since Thursday night when Jesus was arrested. 
They've been afraid that the Jewish leaders would come after them and arrest them and do to them what they did to Jesus by killing him. They're checked out. If this was 2020, they're all sitting around a table on their phones just scrolling through social media. Maybe a little bit of day drinking going on in that group too. They're just completely uh, distraught, disengaged, and who wouldn't be? Their entire worlds have been flipped upside down. They had given everything to Jesus to follow him. They, they left their jobs and their families three years before to become his students and his apprentices. And now everything is different. Apparently following him can get a guy killed. They're just hiding out, waiting for the Fuhrer to die down, and they're going to sneak back home and try to resume the life they used to have and just kind of coast out to the end of their lives. Then Jesus comes into the room, and everything completely changes. It's him. Like, how shocking would that be? And you got a little bit of a glimpse of this now. In 2020, when anybody comes to your door, isn't it shocking? Like, did you order something from Amazon? Why is somebody at our house? Nobody should be at our house. Much more so to see somebody that you just seen them die. You went to the funeral. You had the wake. That person's dead, and yet they're standing right there. Understandably, the guys thought he was a ghost. It was a wrong conclusion, but it's, I can see how they got there. I want to go back to the Gospel of Luke with you. If you're in John, you can just go backwards a little bit. Luke gives us a different account of the same scene. And this is in Luke chapter 24, verse 37. It says here, The whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said, Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. Make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And he asked them, hey, you got anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Now go back to the Gospel of John. We'll pick it up there under John's account. And John, by the way, was there. This is an eyewitness account. He said, as he spoke, Jesus showed them his wounds and his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I think what a fantastic story. I've always loved this story. And by story, I don't mean once upon a time. This really has the ring of authenticity to it. There are so many little details to just tell you. This actually happened. People who were there are telling you what, like all the little details about them thinking that Jesus is a ghost. Or Jesus saying, hey, do you want to see my scars? Do you want to see my scabs? <laughs> like, what guy doesn't? Yes. If you think I'm a ghost, give me something to eat. Does a ghost eat a fillet of fish? No, I'm here. I'm really here. Just, despite everything you may think to the contrary, I'm alive. Here's what I want you to latch on to. Those guys went into that moment at the lowest of low in their life and yet came out of that moment at the highest of high. They went from being completely empty to completely full, and they never lost that. Jesus completely transformed them. They literally changed their world so much that we're still living with the impact that they had 2,000 years later. I want to show you what Jesus gave them. He first of all gave them his very real presence. He was there among them, so much so that they could touch him. He gave them hope. All those things he told them about resurrection from the dead, those weren't just pretty words. It wasn't just metaphorical. It wasn't just some kind of 
uh, dreamy thing. It was literally people who are dead are going to be alive again. When God says your sins are forgiven, they are. He gave them purpose. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He gave them authority. You can forgive people's sins. I'm giving you permission. You can tell people God forgives your sins. How amazing is that? This is what Jesus does for people. He takes people who are checked out, disengaged, just waiting for it all to end, and he gives them purpose and meaning and hope. And I want you to know this. This is the same thing that Jesus could do for you. What he did for his friends 2,000 years ago, he offers to you. You can re-engage with life. You don't just have to wait it out to the end, wait for the bell to ring, just kind of muddle through the last of your days. You can have the same thing that Jesus offered them. Let me give you a few practical things to think about in terms of awakening to life. The first encouragement I would give you is this. Figure out what it was that caused you to shut down in the first place. There's a reason why your brain is taking you to this place where you're just zoned out. Do some hard work to figure out what that is. Horst Schultz was, the, for a long time, the COO of Ritz-Carlton Hotels, and he tells a great story about one of their locations that had a trouble and a problem that the management spent a long time trying to figure out. At this huge hotel, a lot of the guests were complaining that their food was cold when they ordered from room service. The staff there was amazing, so the management didn't immediately assume the kitchen staff should all just be fired. They took some time with all hands on deck with the leadership team to figure out why are we having these issues, what can we do to change it. So they spent an entire day going through figuring out. They first of all realized very quickly, the kitchen staff is very competent. They're putting out good food and it's hot. So why is it getting to the rooms cold? Well, they investigated it. The wait staff was also doing a good job. They were just having delays as they were trying to get to the guests' rooms. So they figured out it was the service elevators. They spent an entire morning with stopwatches going, what's wrong? Is the elevator broken? Do we need to add elevators? And they came up with a very simple uh, realization. There were too many people using the elevators from the staff. It was basically the hospitality teams cleaning the rooms after one set of guests left and the new guests were coming in. It all traced back to a decision that they had made. There weren't enough sheets on every floor of the hotel. Crazy as that sounds, they thought we'll save money, but what it ended up being is housekeeping had to go up and down the elevators finding new clean sheets from other floors or waiting for the laundry to be done. Too many people are using the elevators. The wait staff can't get the food up to the rooms in time, and so the guest satisfaction scores came down. Amazingly, it was penny wise, dollar foolish to make that decision back then, but they figured out very quickly the real problem is we just need to buy more sheets. And he makes this great point, Horst, Horst Schultz, the CEO of, of the, the hotel. He says, misdiagnosing a problem never solves it. That's my encouragement to you. You may think, well, my problem is I just I drink too much. I'm addicted to something. Uh, my problem is I'm just working too much. And I just need to cut back on that. No, take a deeper cut. What was it that made you initially turn to what you've turned to to numb yourself? What's going on there? This would be worthy of you praying. If you're a Christian and you're a person who prays, you should ask God to reveal some things to you. You should talk to some trusted friends. Maybe there's someone in your life group that you can turn to. You can turn to one of the pastors here at Connection. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. I would even say this is worthy of investing some time with a counselor who is so trained to help you uncover these things quickly and help you get to the solution side of this. So figure out what is it that went on in my life that caused me to zone out in the first place. Here's another thing. While you're doing that, you might want to start thinking about what you need to filter out of your life that doesn't belong there anymore. Some of the things that are contributing to your problems. 
For example, if you want to turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this. I'm going to read this out of the New International Version. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Those are the people who don't know God. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance, the unknowingness that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. If you notice how many times in this verse he talks about the things that need to go away from our lives because sin numbs you to feeling all the good things of life that God has given you. And so when you don't know God and when you say yes to things that are really hurtful to you, it really actually has a numbing effect to you. It, it makes you chase more and more experiences and sensations and feelings, chasing something you're never going to achieve. And so while you're thinking about some of the things that need to filter out of your life, let me think about another area with you that you might want to consider, and that is what you're putting into your mind and what kind of an impact that is having on you. For example, do you find that having a steady diet of news coming in does anything good for your well-being? Or does it just raise your level of anxiety to hear about all the things that went wrong in the world today? Why would you do that to yourself? I think of something that Jesus taught about worry. This is in Luke chapter 12. How can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? And I I think Jesus might look at us today in 2020 and say, hey, can all your worrying bring peace to the Middle East? Can your worrying bring a vaccine for COVID? Can worry get your guy elected? Can uh, worry get anything good accomplished in the world? then maybe don't do that. Maybe there's a more effective way to deal with life than to just bring things into your life that amplify your anxiety and don't really help anything. Let's even dig a little bit deeper. What kind of an impact does social media have on your mental health, your well-being, your self-esteem, your sense of contentment? Does it do anything good for you? It's just like electronic devices, by their very nature, numb us out. How many times have you said, well, I was just on my phone for five minutes, and you look at the clock, and you realize, like, 45 minutes have gone by. You set a timer. I challenge you to do this and just set it for, like, 15 minutes and see how surprised you are when it goes off. Even more than that, the social media that you engage with on there, does it, does it help you feel content to see the best slice of someone else's life, and you compare it to all the things you know about your life? You see that person who posted up first day of school and everything looks amazing and she looks like she's got it all together and her makeup is perfect and the husband looks like he's just ran a half marathon before he gets ready to join his first Zoom call of the day. All the kids have matching outfits and there's not a single spill on anyone. Everybody's smiling, nobody's screaming, nobody's crying. And you go like, why can't my world be like that? And you have no idea what it took to get that one perfect picture and you're you know, comparing that to your reality and yeah, you're going to come up short. I like how somebody said it. Social media is a public billboard. It's not a private journal. You're seeing the absolute best one sliver of somebody's life. Don't compare your life to that. Just think about opening yourself up to everybody else's social media. In one way, it's great because we get to stay connected with each other. We get to feel happy for things that other people are going through. We can share even the difficulties we're going through. But be careful what toll it takes on you. Maybe that's something you need to filter out a little bit and say, I'm just going to limit my exposure to that. And while I'm on that line, why don't you think about some things you should be putting into your mind, into your, to your life? Grab this thing, your Bible. Make sure you're engaging with this every day and reading some of it, getting some of God's truth 
and some of God's encouragement into your heart. Along those lines, you should be talking to God in prayer every day. And I say should because you need it, and so do I. And God wants to have this conversation with you where he just uh, shares things with you that you would never see otherwise, to hear your needs and concerns, to let you pour your heart out before him, to confess your sins and ask God for help. This is a thing that will help you to bring into your life every day. So here's another idea. Go to connectionchristian.org. Hit the on-demand button. You can go back and watch past services of our church together. You can you know, experience the worship music. You can listen to the thoughts that are shared. You can catch messages that you missed out on. There's so many things you can do to bring good into your life and, and at the same time filtering out some of the things that are less helpful. I just have one last encouragement for you. And that is, as you're going through the difficult things you're going through, just think again about the disciples who were in that room that Sunday night, right before Jesus came in. If you had asked them right before Jesus appeared, how are things going for you? They would have told you, it is awful. I will never be the same again. There's, there's no coming back from some of the things that we've seen and experienced. It's never going to be better. And then you see, though, and we know because we're on the other side of it 2,000 years later. We saw what happened. They were on the verge of a breakthrough, a complete transformation from the lowest of the lows to highest of highs. There was something entirely new that God was just about to do in their lives. And you have no idea but that maybe you are also on the verge of God doing something wonderful in your life. And you need to awaken to the possibility that this time you're going through right now is preparation. There's some things you need to figure out, and you should do that. There's some things you need to filter out. But there's just some things maybe that you need to finish out. There's something that I, I think a lot of people who are in the physical fitness arena would tell you, if, and maybe you, if you're into lifting or running or riding, exercising, you already know this. There's a moment when you're exercising hard or you're running a race or whatever that your body is just screaming at you, you have to stop. Your mind fully believes that if you take one more step, if you do one more rep, it's just not possible. And yet you know if you do go ahead and take the next step, if you do push yourself the next whatever, you actually could do it. You didn't collapse. It's even in those moments that you find that you gain new strength that you wouldn't have had if you hadn't just pushed through. My encouragement to you is to finish this out and realize that maybe God is developing some things in you that could never be developed any other way but that you go through this time. I like how Dr. Mark Moore says this, the most difficult thing about the coronavirus pandemic has been the quarantine. Call it stay at home or shelter in place, regardless of what you call it, it's forced waiting. Waiting is hard work. It feels passive and stifling, a waste of time. However, the waiting room in God's healthcare system is where much of the heart surgery takes place. Waiting is where our character is solidified so opportunities can be maximized. Is it possible that this time where you feel zoned out, checked out, just waiting for it all to end, that God is developing character, perseverance, love, compassion in a way that would never be in your life otherwise? I'm offering something for you, and I'm asking for you to open yourself up to Jesus because he wants you to flip the switch back on and re-engage with life. And here's the thing, that's completely in your control. God will not force you to be part of the life that he offers. 
but he invites you to be a part of it. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says your sins can be forgiven. He's literally inviting you to be a part of a new kind of life, one that never ends. And he wants so desperately for you to say yes to that, but it's within your control. You are the one who has to come to God and say, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I want to be more awake and alive to the life that you've given me, to the people around me. There's a fantastic verse in the Bible. It simply says, this is in Psalm 35. God's anger only lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you're a Christian and you just completely feel checked out, you feel numb to God, I get it. A whole lot of Christians can say that at some point in their life that that's been their story. And if you're living it now, you have my compassion and I'd be happy to listen to you, to talk with you, to pray for you. So don't be afraid to reach out to someone. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you something. You are so close to experiencing something so different and so much better than you ever have before. The moment you say yes to Jesus and allow him to be the Lord of your life, he can also be the Savior who frees you from your sins, who teaches you to live in a way that you never could have lived on your own. It's up to you to say yes to him, but I don't know why you wouldn't. It's such an amazing thing that he offers. You consider it. Let me pray for you. Father, I recognize that in my own life and so many people that I love, that this has been a tough time. And so many people can say, I'm just emotionally not there. And things are numb and have been that way for a long time. I also recognize that you can change things immediately, that you have such power to work in our lives when we let you. I pray you would open the eyes of our hearts to realize how much love you offer to us and that we would say yes to that. I'm also asking, Father, that you would move people's hearts to say yes to your son, Jesus. Give us the courage to do what we know we need to do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.